Open your Bibles tonight to Second Chronicles chapter twelve. Second Chronicles chapter number twelve. Last time, a few years ago, when I preached from this section, the title of the message was Shields of Brass. Uh, I'm not sure tonight what to call it. I, I think the best thing I can think of that really makes the point I want to make is the phony potentate. Uh, or maybe it's the problem of pretense or the price of pretending. Let's stick with that. The price of pretending. Um, have you ever thought about what you would do if, if you were in charge? I'm, I mean of anything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I know what some of you guys are thinking. Uh, what if you were the president? How about that? Uh the president, you're in charge. You have authority. You have influence. You have power. And most of the time, I think that people assume that they could do a better job than others. You know, regardless of what the president does, about half of the nations uh, got a better idea. You know, they, they don't like the decisions that he makes. And so... Uh, there'll always be those that'll second guess you and everybody's not going to agree with you. And I mention that because here in uh, this chapter, we find a situation a lot like that. After the death of Solomon, Rehoboam, who was his son, reigned in his stead. And now he's faced with all of those tough decisions that daddy had been making. And uh, he's trying to govern the nation at this point. And, Boy, to say he got off on the wrong foot is an understatement. From the very beginning, you could see great potential in Rehoboam, but you could also see serious problems on the horizon, uh, at least the potential for that. And instead of him wisely relieving the heavy taxation of the people, he listened to the... He's, the young generation and uh, just arrogantly increase their burden. It's kind of like, you know, I, I'm going to show you I'm in charge now and this is what I'm going to do. Well, that led to a division in the kingdom and there was a, a split. Uh, Jeroboam took the, the ten northern tribes and Rehoboam was left with the two southern tribes and then Rehoboam got the idea, well, we'll, we'll just, uh, we'll launch a war against them and we'll take them back. And the Lord intervened and said, you shall not go to war against your brethren. And so God put a stop to that. The northern tribes then quickly fell. that the priest and the Levites all decided to leave the northern tribes and go over to the two southern tribes. So now you could say that Rehoboam is in a, the unique position of again 
having an opportunity to really make a difference for good because he has the religious leadership behind him. And uh, you would think this is a great opportunity for a spiritual awakening in the nation. And yet, as you're going to see shortly, he failed miserably. And so tonight I want us to look at his life and to get an understanding of exactly what happened. Started out those first three years of his reign, described back in chapter 11, uh, were years of prosperity. You know, everything looked like, well, okay, it's going to be great. Uh, they were even successful in maintaining their, their moral religious purity. And, uh, but then verse 1 of chapter 12, all of a sudden, everything takes a turn for the worse. And it just so happens it's after Rehoboam has taken 18 wives and 60 concubines. Yeah, yeah I've, I've just got to wonder, how could he think things were not going to get worse? I, I mean, what was he thinking uh, so you can pretty well predict the future when you may, you know, make a foolish decision like that. And so, but verse one says he forsook the law of the Lord. Now notice here in verse one, the first thing tonight I want you to notice about him is his character. It says he came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom. Kudos, give him credit for that. He established the kingdom and had strengthened himself. All right. Then notice he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. When we think about his character, there are three things that I want you to notice about him that caused his demise. The first thing is here in verse number one is the fact that, you know, he had forsaken the law of the Lord. But whenever you begin to inquire and you look back in chapter 11 and all that had transpired, and the first big mistake here is the fact that he let others mislead him. Now, I know I already mentioned that, that he listened to the younger generation. Instead of listening to the wise advice of the older men, he listens to the foolish counsel of the younger generation, his generation. And so he let them mislead him. And there's a big lesson in that for each and every one of us, you know, the fact that uh, that if we hang around bad company, it's, it's going to lead to corruption. We are influenced by the company that we keep, you see. And so we all have to be concerned about others deceiving us and misleading us. And so many times we've seen it happen, seen it happen to young people especially, you know. Maybe they'll go from one grade to the next grade. And, and of course, usually it's, you know, around the 7th, 8th, ninth grade all of a sudden that kid that was just I mean such a model student just boy you have high hopes and all of a sudden they get in with the wrong crowd and all of a sudden it's all downhill after that it makes a difference in who your kids hang with now you know I know that people say well you just you just you know you you can't just take their friends away or tell them who their friends are going to be well yeah you really can you can limit the amount of time they spend with certain people because mom and dad, you know a whole lot better than those kids that you know from experience. Uh, whenever I think back, you know, and 
in my life. And, of course, naturally, we can't always go around blaming others for our failures. You know, we make the decisions, and we got to bear the responsibility of that. But there's no doubt about it. Others can influence us to a, a great extent. And that's what we see going on here. Secondly, secondly, he not only let others mislead him, he left the law of the Lord. He left the law of the Lord. He Notice it, he forsook God's law. You never really know what a person will do until they get an opportunity to do it. There's a lot of people that would not, absolutely would not, Think about stealing a dollar. You could lay a dollar out there somewhere and people would walk past it. They wouldn't think about it. You'd drop a dollar, you know, and they'd pick it up and give it to you. Uh, you know, a hundred dollars now, you know, it might, you know, it might be tempting to some people. But boy, if you left a whole roll of big bills out there, you know, that's another thing. And we all know it's true that a lot of people, you know, they don't mind conforming to the law and what have you and respecting one another in regards to the little things. But it's when they get an opportunity to really, at least in their mind, to really prosper. There are a lot of times, you know, in the early part of his run, I said the ten northern tribes are the ones that really went ballistic whenever it came to their doctrinal stance and they forsook the Lord and and entertained other gods and the priest and the Levites said enough of this we're out of here we're going to we're going to go over and represent the two southern tribes so uh, obviously there there was a problem that existed there and at that point in time, Rehoboam wouldn't dare do what he's doing now. So now he's going the way of the ten northern tribes. Now he forsakes the law of the Lord. In other words, he has gained a foothold. He has gained control. And now we see his true colors. It might just be the pride of his position that made him feel like he was invincible. Now I'm free to do as I please. It might have been. You know, he figured, well, the old folks have run things long enough. And now, you know, now I'm the king. And now I've got all of the younger folks behind me. And so I'm going to take it in a different direction. Possible thing that he could have done, he forsook the law of the Lord. That's moral and spiritual suicide. When a people forsake the law of the Lord, there's only one direction. And leader to fail I mean, that's like the pastor of the church, you know, uh, saying, well, you know, I've decided that we've stayed with this old book long enough. And I, and so I, I've, I've ordered uh, I, I've ordered a, I've ordered a few cases of some uh, new textbooks for, for us. And so he brings out psychology today. 
or something like that. So this is going to be our guidelines from now on. Or scientific journal or whatever it might be. I, I mean, that's as far out as you can get. And that's what's going on here. He, when you forsake the law of the Lord, look, it doesn't make any difference whether you go this direction or that direction. It makes no difference because you have forsaken the law of the Lord and it's all downhill. That's exactly what he did. And then notice, thirdly, in regards to his character, he led others astray. Notice, in all Israel with him. Sin is always terrible. If it didn't affect anybody but you, it's terrible. It's horrible. Sin is the worst thing that you can do. And we, we can't really understand that because none of us, none of us are able to, to measure the magnitude of our offense against God. And we can't because we can't possibly even conceive the greatness of His holiness. That, that's beyond our understanding. We talk about God being holy, but He is much more holy than we can even imagine. And so our offense against Him is much greater than we can imagine. So it's terrible that we sin in any regards but it makes it even worse when our sin affects other people. Too many times we've got the attitude, you know, what I do is my business. What I do is my business. You don't have the right, you know, tell me how I ought to live and what I ought to do. Well, God does. But it, look, it's, it's not just your business because whatever you do is going to have an effect on somebody else. It might, you know, it might be a family member, it might be a neighbor or whoever, but your influence is going to reach out and touch others. And so before we sin, before we forsake the law of the Lord, before we, you know, get off in, in the wrong direction doctrinally or whatever that might be, we need to stop and consider how is this going to affect other people? Because most of the time when people sin, they don't take that into consideration. They don't stop and think about that. You know, they just decide, you know, boy, I think I would like to do this. And so they go ahead and do it because, you know, in their mind, it's going to be a pleasurable activity. So off they go and uh, never giving consideration to what happens whenever, whenever they get caught in their sin and the divorce and the kids and have to suffer as a result of that. And so... He led others astray. He's the king. I mean, of all people, of all people. Those subjects of his kingdom. Now, look at verse 2. And on down through verse 9, we're going to read this because it speaks about his chastisement. And mark it down. Our character has an effect on the manner in which God deals with us. Verse number 2 says, And it came to pass. Anytime you forsake the law of the Lord, something's going to come to pass. Amen. It came to pass that in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, that Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because, notice, because they had transgressed against the Lord. So we don't have to wonder what brought about this siege. We're told clearly it was because they had transgressed against the Lord. And he came, notice, with 1,200 chariots and three score thousand horsemen. And the people were without number that came 
with him out of Egypt. The Lucums and the Sukkims and the Ethiopians, and he took the fence cities which pertain to Judah and gathered together to Jerusalem because of Shisak the you in the hand well well isn't that nice yeah well um, what they said was true but you've got to wonder exactly what their intent was and when the Lord saw that he humbled them themselves they humbled themselves the word of the Lord came to them, but I will grant them some nevertheless they shall be his servants that they may know my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries and Shishak the king of Egypt came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and took all and he carried away also the shields of gold which Solomon had made. We pay a terrible price when we rebel against God. Now we're not given all of the details. When it says he forsook the law of the Lord, he doesn't give us a long list. Well, they did this and they did that and they did the other. He just says they forsook the law of the Lord. It wouldn't really make any difference what the... You know, the nature of the sins might have been. That doesn't really matter. They forsook the law of the Lord. But no, notice, here's what we do know. The fence cities were conquered. Well, if that happened, and you just look at the size of the army that came against them, and you know if that happened, it goes without saying that blood was shed, that lives were lost, all as a result of his sin. And in addition to that, notice here in verse number 9, he also lost his treasures. I don't have any idea of what all great treasures that he might have had. Certainly you think about Solomon, his daddy, and all that he had, and all of this being passed down to Rehoboam now. And my, uh, think about the wealth of that. And now all of his personal treasures are taken, but there's something that is even more shocking than that, more insulting than that. And it's where it says here that he also took the treasures of the house of the Lord as well, notice, as the shields of gold which Solomon had made. Here is another reminder that sin is a thief. Sin is a thief. It'll rob you of your dignity. I mean, if that's all that it did, that's horrible. That is terrible to think that here is someone that at one moment and from in all appearance is somebody that is righteous, somebody that loves God, somebody that's concerned about others, somebody doing all of the right things. And then in the next moment, they forsake the law of the Lord and you see them now down there in the gutter of sin. They lose their dignity. Sin will cause you to lose your joy. 
I don't know about you, but I think joy is worth a whole lot more than money is. Amen. To be able to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Wow. But no Christian sins successfully. Whenever there's sin, there's going to be a cost. And we lose our joy. We lose our peace. We lose our influence, our health, our wealth. And we can even lose our life. And that list just goes on and on and on. So before we indulge in sin, before we turn away from God in the slightest in any area of our life, we better stop and think about what we stand to lose. What we might lose. It'll cost you more than you want to pay, take you further than you want to go, and keep you longer than you want to stay. Now, here in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, here God has an explanation, as I just read, for everything that happened. In other words, there wasn't anything that was insignificant. The Lord said, well, they forsook me. The consequences of that is this. There's a cause for every effect. And and that tells me that we need to learn to see God in everything that happens. And there's so many times we don't do that. We, you know, we see things going awry. We see all of a sudden things are going wrong. And all of a sudden life gets difficult. And the devil tries to convince us, oh, well, that's, you know, that's just life. You, you know, you, you can't really beat yourself up. You can't really think that you possibly could have done anything to have brought that upon you. And by the way, we all know that there are times that, you know, the very best people suffer the, the most. And we know that's true. So just because you're going through suffering doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. But it does mean you might have. You might have. We know that nothing happens by accident. And that will be a warning for us. When things go south, when things get difficult, that we stop and we ask ourselves, we ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything, is there something in my life that's displeasing in your sight? Is there something that would have provoked you to deal with me in such a manner as this? Remember, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and he scourgeth every son. So he doesn't skip any of us, folks. So you mark it down, we cannot violate the principles of God's Word and not suffer bad consequences from it. So that's what we see here. We see the consequences of His bad character. But now notice beginning in verse number 9, there's something that just adds to His folly that I want you to look at tonight, and this is the, the main part of this. Notice verse 9, it says in the last part, He carried away also the shields of gold which Solomon had made. Now verse 10, in, Instead of which King Rehoboam made shields of brass and committed them to the hands of the chief of the guard and kept the entrance, that kept the entrance of the king's house. And when the king entered into the house of the Lord, the guard came and fetched them and brought them again unto the guard chamber. The Egyptians took 300 shields of gold. These, these are the shields that Solomon had made. They, they weighed somewhere around three pounds apiece, so it's not like a great big thick chunk of gold. Don't get, you know, that in your mind, but they were covered in gold and enough gold that they weighed three pounds apiece. And somebody calculated, and this was several years ago, by the way, 
that would have been about $6.3 million worth of golden shields. Now, like I said, that was, that was several years ago. I don't know what it would be today, uh, but it was something of great value. But there's more to it than that. These shields were used by the king's guards whenever they escorted him to the temple. There'd be 150 guards on one side of the street and 150 on the other side of the street. They'd be standing there with those shiny golden shields. I mean, that's quite a picture. And it was meant to be because it was a display of the king's power and the king's prosperity. And now those things are gone. Gone as a result of his bad character. So the question is now in Rehoboam's mind, what shall I do? What am I going to do now? During the siege, uh, other than this right here that we're told in the Word of God, we don't find a long itemized list. Maybe we can assume even. And I say that because instead of recovering them, instead of replacing them, he made 300 shields of brass, cheap imitations of the real thing. In other words, instead of confessing the problem to the people, he's trying to cover it up. I can just see him meeting with the guard saying, now look guys, I don't want you to spread word of this among the people. I don't want them to know that I've lost all of those golden shields that, you know, represented our power and our prosperity as a nation. I want you to make sure you got that brass really shined up today. Just a cheap cover-up, that's all it is. In other words, he's pretending that the problem did not exist. You know, before we... Judge Rehoboam too harshly, I think maybe we all need to uh, take a good look at ourselves because a lot of times we're guilty of doing exactly the same thing, covering up the reality of our spiritual condition. It, you know, it might be what we're doing is giving God brass instead of gold. It might be that we're just, you know, pretending that we're better than what we really are. That can happen in a lot of different ways. It'd be easy for anybody to make a list. It could have to do when we behave one way at church and another way when we're not in church. Now, we all know that happens all of the time. And I, maybe, maybe all of us are guilty of that to some extent. But whenever we, you know, in a major way, we behave one way when we're at church, we're around people, but we behave entirely different when we're not at church, when we're on the job or when we're in the home or whatever. Uh, it's just pretense. That, 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 that's all it is. It might be that we're, you know, bringing out the brass shields whenever we pretend like we're doing our best when we know deep down in our heart that we're really not. I mean, anybody can pretend that they're doing their best. We all know that we ought to be really careful about judging people because we don't want to misjudge them. And 
Somebody said, well, I'm doing the best I can. We don't want to just come right out and say, no, you're not. You could do better. I mean, you don't know that. So we ought not to jump to conclusions, right? And believe it or not, there are people that will play on that. And they, they'll go through life pretending they're giving their very best when in reality they're holding back, putting the brass out there for you to see, the boasting about, I'm doing the very best I can. It might be that we use brass instead of gold when we make excuses for not doing what we should. And then we turn around and say something like, well, you know, I would do it, but... yeah, I, I, Oh, I would do that, but... Pretense. That, that, that's all it is. I'd be glad to help you with that. I'd be glad to do that, but... Always some kind of an excuse, you see. Just pretending that we care enough that we would really help them if we could, when in reality we could if we would and we don't. And then sometimes we pretend that we forgive people when we haven't. That, that's, this is really a tough one, folks. Because I know from experience there are times whenever we think that we have forgiven people. And... Uh, we convince ourselves of it. I've done that. Convince myself I am over that. That is in my past. I'm not going to hold that against those people. What they did was wrong. But, you know, they're just human. Anybody make a mistake, I, you know, I, I have forgiven them. Boy, I'll never forget whenever uh, some of them walked in the church down here. You have no idea how... The, I never dreamed that they'd had the gall to walk into the church and to walk up and shake my hand. I, I couldn't believe it. But it was really a good thing. I'm glad it happened because it made me realize I've not forgiven those people at all. And you see, it's easy for us to go through life pretending that we have forgiven people when we haven't. Sometimes, you know, we do exactly the same thing whenever it could be that we hold back in worship and we, you know, we're pretending to the world that we're really worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth and the fact of the matter is we're holding back. We just, for whatever reason, we might be miffed about something or whatever, but we're certainly not giving the Lord the worship that, that He deserves. Sometimes... Sometimes we use brass instead of gold whenever we admit that we have failed, but we don't actually repent of it. You see, that usually happens when somebody gets caught in a sin. And all of a sudden, they, you know, they thought they had had it hidden, that nobody knew about it. And all of a sudden, it comes to light. They're called on the carpet about this sin in their life, and they realize they don't want to go through the public embarrassment, you know, and so... So, yeah, I admit, I, I did that. I shouldn't have done that. There's a big difference between admitting what you've done is wrong and actually really repenting of it in that you don't do it again, that you stop doing it, you see. And it's, you know, one thing to just say, yeah, yeah, I, I, I admit that I sinned, but that's not true repentance. That's just pretense. And we can fool other people. But we can't really fool God. We can't be holy without being honest. We've got to be honest about our own personal condition. And, 
God demands our best. God deserves our best. And God's able to discern whether we're actually giving Him our best. I was sitting at my desk this week, and actually I was writing an article on the subject of erosion, of all things, and uh, talking about, you know, there's such a thing as spiritual erosion. And that's when the Lord laid this message on my heart because these things happen so slowly. It's like a slow leak instead of a blowout. And uh, all of a sudden we realize the gold is gone and we've got to put up a front. We've got to do something in order to, in order to make ourselves appear better than what we really are. And that brings me to the next thing, and that's his confusion. And I don't think we can miss this because whenever we look at his life, it's just a picture of ups and downs. We'll go back to verse one, number one, where we started. And here we see him rebelling against God. Verse six, we see him repenting, so to speak, against God. Verse 12, he humbles himself there. But verse 14, he did it again. He did it again. That reminds me of the day of the, of the judges. It went through cycles over and over and over and year after year after year. You know, God would bless them and out of, you know, their great prosperity, they'd become spoiled. And as a result of that, they'd rebel against God and turn to other gods and so forth. And God would chastise them. And finally, out of the great depths of their sorrow, they would confess their sin and make things right with God. And that'd go on for a year or two. And, and then all of a sudden, here they go right back down. Just like the day of the judges, and that's what we see in his life, and that's what we see a lot today. I'm talking about with, you know, people that you never know what to expect from them. They're hot one day and cold the next day. They seem to be constantly confused, and they are confusing. We all think of somebody, you know, let's say a year ago, they were right here in one of these empty seats. I mean, right there, just like you, faithful, week after week. You could depend on them. I, I mean, boy, they were a part of the faithful few. And now you look around and all of a sudden they're nowhere to be found. Now, whenever we really look at this and we see him repenting of his sin, the fact of the matter is his repentance actually left a lot to be desired. But the wonderful thing about it is, you know, God, God is is so concerned about our welfare, it's as as though God is saying, look, you know, I'm not totally satisfied with what you've done in your so-called repentance, but you've made an effort. I'm glad God's like that. A lot of times we're in such a bad spiritual condition that we can't make all of the effort that we need to there on the spot. And God's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but, but, but it was enough to stay the hand of God. He said, look, okay, you've made an effort to correct things. I'm not going to just utterly wipe you out. I'm not going to destroy all of you, but I am going to do something. And he did. There were severe consequences for what they did. But it was not nearly so bad as what they deserved and not nearly so bad as what it could have been. 
And, you know, whenever uh, when we find ourselves in a situation like that, it's always wise to take corrective measures as soon as possible. I mean, I mean, to deal with it right then instead of putting it on the back burner, sweeping it under the rug, uh, we need to get on top of it. We need to deal with it in our life. Instead of parading around there with those shields of brass saying, look here, everything's all right with me, when really it's not. But there's something better than that. It's a wonderful thing to see somebody that's been wrong make things right, but prevention is even better than cure. Wouldn't it have been a whole lot more wonderful had that never happened? I mean, it would have been wonderful if it said, you know, all the days of his life, he never forsook the law of the Lord. It would have even been better had, whenever you read down there where God chastised him and they lost the shields of brass, if he could have said, look, folks, I've made a big, horrible mistake, but I've got my heart right with God. Buckle on your swords. We're going out there and we're going to retrieve those shields of gold. We're not going to leave them in the hands of the enemy. They belong to us, and we're going out, and we're going to take them back. Or at least he could have made others the investment of making others or whatever. But, uh, but instead, he thought, I'll just create a cheap substitute, you see. Just something that will look impressive. Uh, but God knew the difference. We'd be doing ourselves a big favor if we'd just stay in the will of God and, and you know, those things would never happen. If you're here and you've already forsaken, you know, the, the path of righteousness, you've already gone astray, I mean, nobody else can see it because you've got those shields of brass up. It's still shiny. It's bright. Nobody else can see the deterioration in your heart. Nobody else can see the erosion of your life yet. You know, eventually they will, but right now they can't. But if you're in that state, you need to repent before something tragic happens. And uh, if you haven't turned away from God, isn't that a great thought? You know, you haven't turned away. You've been faithful. You are faithful. Your heart is right with God. Thank the Lord for people like that. And if that describes you, don't even think about it. Don't even think about turning away from, from the Lord because you'll get hurt if you do. You'll get hurt and you'll end up hurting others. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we got rid of all the fool's go, all of the deception, all of the pretense, and just give God the pure gold of our devotion? That, that's why the Lord said to the Laodiceans, He said, look, he said, you're, you're neither hot nor you're cold. I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold, but you're lukewarm and I'll spew you out of my mouth. That's just sort of a gracious way of God saying, you make me sick to my stomach, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to vomit. I, it is so sickening to me for, for, to think about God's people being in, in a lukewarm condition like that. What must the Lord think? Whenever, you know, Sunday morning comes and we strap on our shields of brass. Oh, we've shined them all up. And here we go. We're off to church with our shields of brass shining bright. But there's no gold there. And if God deserves our very best, we ought to give him the, the gold of our devotion, the very best that we can. Believe me, God's more concerned about you than you are yourself. 
and that's God. You know, so many times we think, well, God just, you know, He won't let me do this and He won't let me do that. I guess I'm just going to have to be miserable all of my life. No, no, you don't have to be miserable. I mean, you can be happy in the Lord and have joy unspeakable as a result of your love for the Lord, that kind of love that will cause you to to obey His commandments without them being a burden to you. It, you know, all of a sudden, whenever we realize that these commandments, these restrictions and these responsibilities imposed upon us, they're for our own good. It's not like God all of a sudden is more God or a better God. He's already perfect. No, it's for our good that we conform our ways to the Lord. Maybe somebody here tonight, you need to just lay down that shield of brass and say, hey, I, I'm done with this thing. I'm, I'm through pretending I'm going to give God the very best I possibly can. And uh, God will bless you for it. Let's pray. Our Father, forgive us. Forgive me, Lord, for the times in my life where I've pretended. Times in my life where I've wanted to leave an impression with others that I was better than what I really was. The times I've pretended that I had forgiven people when I hadn't. And the times whenever I have uh, slacked off in doing what I know that would have been pleasing in your sight. And Lord, help us tonight to be honest from the depth of our hearts, sincere, without any wax, without any fillers, without any pretense, with the sincere devotion of our heart, the very gold, as it were, the best that we have to offer. Lord, we know that you deserve it and you demand it. And Lord, we're so thankful that you're pleased whenever we give you our best, although it might not be nearly so much as somebody else, when it's our best, it's always enough. And so, Lord, help us to strip away all of the pretense and to be honest about our, our condition, honest about our needs, and come to you that you might fill us with your spirit and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. Page number 500, 500. Thank you.